For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. I will be reading verses 15 to verse 17. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,211. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Let us now hear God's word. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. May his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation, I invite you to turn in your forms and prayers book to page 250. Lord's Day 44 on the bottom there, question and answer 113. And we're only going to recite together 113. On page 250, congregation, what is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? That not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever rise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and delight in all unrighteousness. Congregation of Christ, this evening, we draw our attention to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. We're going to be considering the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Essentially, we want to ask this question, what's your heart's desire? And then we'll come to realize, okay... Who's my heart's desire? What's my heart's desire? Who's my heart's desire? Whatever is our heart's desire determines who we desire most in our lives. Young people, let me say that again, if you're listening. Whatever is our heart's desire determines who we desire most in our lives. You heard the words from Lord's Day 44, question and answer 113, what is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? And you may have noticed that the answer is pretty different than the previous answers to the commandments. How? Well, the answer to the question, what is God's will for you in the 10th commandment, that not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. It doesn't really go into the extent of coveting. It defines it, 
but it doesn't go into the extent like the previous commandments do. Let's say murder. We murder in our hearts. And so God, God forbids all forms of murder. Well, how does God forbid all forms of coveting? The reason why the answer is the way it is, is that the 10th commandment is a summary for the previous nine commandments. You break commandments one through nine, you've broken the 10th commandment, coveting, because it has to do with our heart's desire. What's your heart's desire? I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, when I put a God before the true God, I am coveting that other God. And I could go through the rest of the commandments and show how when we break one through nine, we are really breaking one, or, uh, commandment number ten. What is coveting? What is it? Why the 10th commandment? To covet means to set the heart upon something. To yearn for or long for something. It's a deep desire. A deep desire for something. In Ephesians chapter 5, I think it's verse 5 speaks of the coveter, the person who covets, essentially a greedy person. Who is a greedy person? Someone who yearns or longs for something more than something or someone else. So the one who covets or the coveter is a person who desires more and more at the expense of trampling on another person's rights. Think about that. Why does the commandment say you shall not covet your neighbor's wife? You shall not covet your neighbor's manservant or maidservant? You shall not covet or trample upon that which is your neighbor's. And then if you compare Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, to Deuteronomy chapter 5, coveting refers to the inner desires. For example, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So it's not only the literal coveting, taking that which doesn't belong to you, but it's also the inner desire of our hearts. What is your heart's desire this evening? God teaches us that coveting is idolatry, and it's a heart issue. Like every other commandment, it is a heart issue. Coveting is replacing God with an idol and hating our neighbor. Coveting 
is worldly and evil, and it is therefore walking in darkness. That's how God views coveting. Because ultimately, we have replaced him with something or someone else. We're saying, no, God, my desire, I want to feed with something or someone else other than you. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, isn't that each and every one of us? I believe so. We desire to place other things, the stuff of the world, before God. You ever ask the question, why? Why, Lord, am I so inclined to find pleasure to feed my desires and cravings with something other than you or someone other than you. Why? When you are pure gold, you are beautiful, too wonderful beyond description, as the hymn writer wrote. Lord, you are more beautiful than words can express. And I want to place someone in front of you, before you. John warns us. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world or the stuff of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What is John teaching here? What is he teaching here? To not love the world and to love God. Simple. Love God, love neighbor. Let's look first at the characteristics of the world and its origin. The characteristics of the world and its origin. Do not love the world or the things in the world, says John. What is the world? John isn't exhorting us to hate the material and relational blessings that we know. Those blessings that come from God, family, friends, church family, creation, the beauty of creation. He's not talking about those things. Food, shelter, those necessities of life that God graciously provides. Now, can those things be coveted? Yes. You bet they can be. But that's not what he's referring to here. He isn't exhorting us to hate the created world which reveals his invisible attributes, his glory, his power, his might. Interestingly, the word cosmos or world has a very interesting metaphorical meaning to it. And it can be translated as adornment. Adornment. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
was adorned on that tree. And what happened? The devil tempted Eve, and she was enticed. And she and her husband, Adam, ate. The world refers to the philosophies of this world, the stuff of this world that takes our attention off of the true God. The stuff of this world is the philosophy of this world that is false. The the stuff of this world is falsehood. Those that promote evil, those that promote false doctrine, those that promote things that are anti-God or anti-theist, those things that are contrary to the truth. John exhorts us to hate the world or the things of this world, which are the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. These things are attracted to the stuff of the world. And we fight daily to push back against them. We do so by the power of God, of course, by the power of the Spirit. The devil who whispers, did God really say? Did God really say? The world that promotes false Christs and false worldviews and falsehoods You don't need to believe Jesus. You don't need to believe the truth. We have life. Come to us. We'll take care of you. We'll meet your needs. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are characteristics of the world. The desires of the flesh are the desires of our hearts that seek after sinful things. Things contrary to God's word, God's law. And the sinful nature longs to be satisfied by the world and its promises. And this isn't a life lived by the Spirit. This isn't a life lived in God's love. Rather, God's love leads us to forsake selfish desires to put on Christ, to live in the Spirit, to forsake selfish desires and worldly pursuits, to find our need and help in the Lord who is the light and life. And as John will say earlier in the letter, as he says earlier, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. The flesh, the desire of the flesh is to hate the brethren, to hate your sister, to hate our neighbor. That is the desire of the flesh. And that is the desire of the world and the influence of the world upon you and me. And John speaks of it as it is darkness. 
The flesh is darkness. And then there's another characteristic that he notes there of the world. The desires of the eyes are those that we see and crave in our souls. One commentator says the eyes are the channel to the soul. What you see may become what you crave. What are those things that you see the world hold up as supreme and find satisfaction in young people? What are those things that the world shows you to persuade you to think that this is best for you? And that if you follow this course of action, you will find satisfaction. You will have anything you need and everything you need. You will be satisfied. Friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Do not love the world or the stuff of the world. The desires of the eyes. You see your neighbor with bigger barns and you need them. You see your, na- your neighbor with bigger gifts and you need them. You see your neighbor with status and notoriety and you want it. You see your friend with all the, the gadgets and, and stuff and you crave it. And you're not going to be satisfied and you're going to make mom and dad miserable until you get it. I was young once. We see and crave. And then there's the pride of life. Literally, this can be translated, the boasting about one's manner of life. The boasting of one's manner of life. Which is a a good translation. In other words, he invests in the things in this earthly life and exalts his pursuits, exalts his successes and accomplishments. What does James say? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Desires of the flesh, desire of the eyes, the pride of life, or the boasting about one's manner of life. These are characteristic of the world, and they originate from the world, from the pit of hell, from the devil, from our own flesh. Because let's not forget, we're a people who are born with sinful natures, born in the world. And so it includes self in that. You see, friends, 
John says, do not love the world or the things in the world, the stuff of the world. Because the things of the world and the love of God cannot coexist. They are antithetical, complete opposites. God will not compete with the idols of our hearts. God will not compete with the stuff of the world that we give allegiance and loyalty to. God loves his people, and that love means it's sacrificial and it's loyal. Loyal. And so John is saying, do not love, are you going to be loyal to the world? You're going to love the world, or are we going to love the Lord and live in light of his love that has been born in our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ? John calls us to desire God over idols, to be loyal to God and his love over the impotent idols of the world in our hearts? Does not Jesus say, no one can serve two masters? For either he will hate the one and love the other, and then notice he says, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So the one who is loyal is devoted. The one who hates despises. Are you going to love the world or love God? Because to love the world is to be devoted to the world. You cannot serve God and money, says Jesus. The characteristics of the world and its origin, its origin comes from the world, from the flesh, from the devil. And John essentially says, run from it. Run from it. Turn with me to 1 John 5, the last verse, verse 21. John says, little children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Because John knows, he knew the power of idols and its influence in our hearts. Then John says at verse 17, And the world is passing away along with its desires. Here we have the impermanence of the world and its passions. The world is not permanent. The world and its passions are not permanent. They are transitory. They are short-lived. They are fleeting. When we love the things of the world or the world, we must ask ourselves the question, why do I covet the things that actually perish? You ever think about that before? It hit me between the eyes as I'm studying this passage. Why do I covet the very things that will perish? 
when everything will be burned up on the last day and when Jesus comes again? Why am I not fixing my eyes on Christ, fixing my eyes on that which is pure and good and lovely, namely God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why don't I invest in things that are eternal? The adornments of the world poison and corrupt. We know that the world or the things of the world have nothing eternal and of spiritual value to offer us. So run from it. Run from it. And let us turn our eyes upon the Lord and His Word that is sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey. The stuff of the world is passing away. Advertisers know us better than we think. You may agree with that or may not. It seems that they do. Social media knows us better than we think. They know us really well. They know what products to sell us based on our search history and the algorithms that they put in place. All the stuff you do on the phone. How is it that you all of a sudden get get advertisements that are related? They know your nature. They know my nature. They know the desires of my eyes. They know what I crave and long for. Young people, there's no, it's no accident what you see on your phone and the attacks. They know how to adorn our flesh, our eyes, and life with the things of the world. And they try to sell us these things. And promise us wholeness and peace and life. And so the world entices us and sells us spiritual toxins that destroy the soul. But Jesus at his coming will burn up the world and its evil passions. John says, and the world, all the stuff of the world that is evil and corrupt, all the evil passions and lusts of the flesh will pass away along with its desires. What then? When the new creation comes in its fullness, we will know only those things that are eternal, which comes from God's very nature, His great and abiding love for us. Start now then. John pleads with Christians, do not love the world. What action steps will you take? Are you being convicted that you are loving the world way too much? That you're succumbing to the things of this world way too much? That you need to make changes in your life now? Lest you get sucked in even further? What changes 
do you need to make in your life and ask God for the help and strength and power to make those changes because by yourself you can't do it. I can't do it. We need Christ by His Spirit to be our strength and help. Stuff of the world is passing away. It is not permanent. What things ought we as Christians to be doing for eternity? See, coveting comes from the world and the flesh and used by the devil. But forgiveness of sin, of coveting, comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to start there. We need to repent. Call our coveting for what it is. Pray for God's forgiveness. Receive his mercy through the shed blood of Jesus. And walk in that newness of life. Friends, when the love of God is born in our hearts, his love and spirit set us apart so that our allegiance and loyalty belong to him and not the world. So we need to be praying. May my heart, O Lord, be loyal to you. Help me in all of my dealings, in my spiritual walk with Christ, be loyal to my King. Because I know all these things are passing away, the world is passing away, and what then? What then? John goes on to say, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here we have the permanence of the child of God. The permanence. Notice, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The person who does the will of God abides forever. This isn't a text to support salvation by works. For John clearly teaches elsewhere that we love because God first loved us. That God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not a text to support salvation by works. We're saved by grace through faith. John is speaking of the person who has been born in God's love. And because the person has been born in God's love, he shows the love of God to his neighbor, his brother. He does not walk in the darkness of hatred toward his fellow brother, but makes those incremental changes by the power of the Spirit, what we call sanctification. And he works in our hearts in such a way that our hearts, our wills, our minds are being more and more conformed to the image of our Creator. And we make small progress in not only doing some of God's commandments, but all of them, as the Catechism teaches. Such a person who abides forever, such a person who does the will of God, has been radically changed by God's love. The Gospel writer John is the theologian of the love of God. And he's telling us in this letter as a whole 
that those who are born of God loves God and loves his neighbor and doesn't covet his neighbor and trample on his neighbor's rights. You see, because the child of God finds his hope in the abiding love of God, we receive the love of God in our hearts through faith when his love invaded the heart or the home of our hearts. The love of God directs our passions and desires to worship the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Perhaps we need to be praying that the Spirit of God breathe into our hearts more and more this love that is deep and vast and wide. As I said last week, oh, how deep and wide the love of Christ is. We can't even plumb the depths of it. It is so profound and deep. John is speaking in a similar way here. When the love of God takes root in our hearts, we more and more desire to be loyal to our Lord, to love our Lord. And when we love because God loved us, we walk in the light as He is in the light. But when we walk in darkness and hate our neighbor, our brother, we walk in the ways of the world. And we're not living in the light of His love and grace. John knows the struggle of sin. He knows it. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so we lay before the feet of Jesus our worldly inner cravings at the cross. We know we have sinned, we have sinned, we have coveted. And so we lay our sins before Christ, receive God's forgiving love. We receive his blessing, his mercy. We have received the spirit who gave us a new heart, a new desire, a new power to say no to godlessness. And to say yes to godliness. To walk in the spirit and be set free by the spirit from the slavery to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Congregation, I believe that the scriptures speak to the antidote of coveting. The antidote for coveting is Christ, and the antidote for coveting is contentment in Christ. Contentment. Content with all that God has given to you in Jesus Christ is enough. And I ask you, is it enough for you? I pray that it's enough for me day in and day out. Is it enough for you? 
is Christ and contentment in, in Him alone, con contentment for you and enough for you. What's your heart's desire this evening? As you reflect upon that throughout the course of the week, go before your Lord. He's listening. He knows. And He desires His children to come to Him knowing His love and mercy in Christ and that we would give our all to serve Him and do the will of God in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that Your grace, which is amazing and abundant, would forgive us of our coveting, desiring and yearning things that don't belong to us, desiring or yearning someone other than You. Oh, Father, we pray that You would have mercy upon us and that You would help us to walk in that newness of life that Jesus secured for us in His death and resurrection and that the Spirit who dwells within us may strengthen us and grant us power to walk in Your love and walk in the light of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.